Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Good to go. Awesome. Every time. (laughs) This is some of our thoughts. Welcome, welcome, everybody. This is episode who knows. Um, It's October on this day that we're recording. October the 10th, which is... Canadian Thanksgiving. Canadian Thanksgiving. (laughs) Indigenous People's Day. Very true. We're not going to talk about Christopher Columbus, but it's a happy Monday here and we have a great episode in store. Um, This is Sarah. And I'm Carter. And this is some of our thoughts. <laughs> so it's October, like I just said, but we're really getting into it's below 90 degrees here in Texas, finally. So kind of cool. Most days. <laughs> Most days. So we're turning into like the witches that we are and double, mm. double toil and trouble. We need red wine. Yeah, there's a full moon. I feel very powerful. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I could not sleep last night from that moon. Yeah, it's I energizing. Was up all night for literally no reason. I put my crystals in the windowsill. I watched Girl Interrupted. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, so much of our favorite music is on that soundtrack, honestly. That's like Simon and Garfunkel bookends. Uh, What else? What else is on that soundtrack? I don't know. It honestly took me all day to watch it because... The kid. Yeah, the kid. So I think I finished it at probably like three this morning. (laughs) Yeah, that is. I was like, I don't want to stop looking at Winona Ryder. I can't. She's too perfect. And those French cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The carton she pulls out. Yes. The French resistance smoked them, I think. <laughs> well, speaking of French uh, yes. things, we have this beautiful, cool concept for the show today. We're going to be talking about Cote de Rome, mm-hmm. which is the wine that is in front of us. Uh, Clovis Cote de Rhone, which is a best-selling bottle at my wine shop. It's $17, and it will likely still be there by the time this episode airs, which (laughs) isn't always the case. So if you'd like to come try some, come buy some. It's Um, a great bottle. It is. This is one of those that uh, occasionally I'll just go a little crazy and buy a bunch of different stuff and bring them over to Sarah's and we'll open everything up and she and Ryan will have made a beautiful meal. We'll just be kind of drinking and parsing stuff out and talking about the future and all of the cool things that we (laughs) want to do and cool, you know, concepts for the show. This one was really organic as most of them are, I mean, amazingly still tend to be. Uh, When we were talking about this, I thought we could go into the history of the region, which is the Cote de Rhone region of Rhone Valley. Um, But for this specific bottle, I remember opening it after about a year of not having had it at all. Right. We looked at each other. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, this is so much better than I recall. Yes. So I'm going to pour a sub. And the label, too, is really distinct. It looks like a playing card. There's, what is it? There's a heart and a king. 
Yeah. And then the uh, Vin de France has a queen on it. Oh, cute. So it's the king and queen of the Rhone Valley. There you go. It's a T. Edwards import. Um, T. Edwards is a importer and distributor as well, like alongside my boss, David Mayfield. They just are based out of New York. And they have so many of the wines that we've had. Uh, Egon is from T. Edwards. Uh, Gulp is from T. Edwards. So a lot of the ones that we've spoken about before. Clovis is just part of the party. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this particular <coughs> bottle, it's really... Uh, to me, just drinks like such a a, a better <laughs> like they could price it so much higher. Even just smelling it, yeah, I can't believe this is as much as it is. Yeah, yeah. And I know like Cote de Rome blends are typically a lot of like um, lots of Grenache, lots of Syrah, dominantly. Dom- yeah, yeah. What is, what is the blend for Clovis exactly? It is fifty percent Grenache, twenty five percent Syrah, fifteen percent Cinso, and ten percent Carignan. So a bunch of great varietals that we've spoken of before, if you recall, Sarah's Rosé at Valley Mills Vineyards is predominantly Cinso. Um, We've had Flaws that was Grenache dominant, um, but we've spoken of other reds that have Syrah and Carignan blended. It's a very common grape to be blended in. Definitely. Um, And I mean, just, yeah, if you want to, we can chat about the guy who makes this. His name is Remy Posine. Remy. Remy. Like, I like the that little, name. Yeah. Ratatouille. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I actually watched a cute. little bit of that yesterday. It's such a good I like movie. It. <laughs> Speaking of French people and things. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the estate is called Verignon, which is V-I-G-N-E-R-O-N. Verignon. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Sneaky little French G. Sneaky. <laughs> it just gets in there. Sneaky. And then if we're talking about Cote de Rhone, you know, I I feel like this is a good place to start with it because a lot of people will come into my wine shop and say, I would like a Cote de Rhone, please. And I kind of look. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I say, hmm. okay. <laughs> but, you know, that's a pretty common thing. I feel yeah. like if we're, we're talking about people that just want to know more about wine, you're right. here because you – Hopefully like us and want to know some yeah. the stuff and think, that we you know. have to think like, you know, in that situation, benefit of the doubt too for customers. They were probably like all morning, they're like, I'm going to say it. I'm going to go in there today. I'm going to, today's the day. I'm going to say it. And it's, they're going to be so impressed with me. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. cute. It's so cute. And it, we thank you for that. Yeah. You're one of those people. You know? Yeah. But no tea, no shade. I'm never no, going like, to laugh at you. Exactly. We'll just laugh at you on the podcast. That's right. And then you'll hear it later. <laughs> <laughs> Is this wild yeast? <laughs> For example. <laughs> Nutty brown. <laughs> That's just me laughing at you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same. Okay. Okay. Ooh, anywho. So, uh, you know, the cool thing about this particular a facet of winemaking is there are certain wine stores and uh, sections of like twin liquors that have like a Cote de Rhone section. Yes. Um, that might be where people get the, uh, get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you think that that would be like a type of wine. Well, it is. It's a type of wine from that region. It's one of the right. oldest regions in France, but it, technically Provence is the oldest making winemaking region. Mm-hmm. But they're all very continental on the coast, yes. similar, like close in uh, terroir and climate. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say there's just, it's such a rich uh 
culturally and historically rich um, with facts, if we want to talk about. Rich with facts. Um, I learned so much doing research for this, truthfully, because there's uh, the Chateauneuf de Pop region, which mm-hmm. is huge, huge, huge. Like huge. people come in, and when you say Chateauneuf de Pop, I, I mean that's a very specific. Yes, that's specific for sure. It's a specific wine makeup. Eighteen different. They're always going to be the same. Uh, great blends blended into it, but two thousand years ago, ancient Greeks planted wine in this specific part of France. I'm really, this is doing a thing with her hands (laughs) (laughs) that you can't hear (laughs) or see or see. Um, (laughs) There were nine successive popes that live in Avignon, which is a huge part of the Rhone. It's like a huge city that was a a major trade route in Mm -hmm. the um, early days of civilization. And the reason why this is such a huge winemaking region is because it was a major trade route that was like accessible by ships um, on land that could disperse very easily throughout France and into Italy, into Spain. And um, I didn't realize that there were, I mean, nine successive popes. That's a lot of popes, y'all. That's a lot of popes. And that's a pretty far way away from Rome, which is where they're meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you doing here? Literally. All nine of you? <laughs> <laughs> Not all at once. Not today. at once, of course. Oh, Sarah. Okay, okay. Hey, I grew up Catholic. I know. I know, you know, I know, you know. So the 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 biggest guy, though, Pope Benedict the thirteenth, he from thirteen thirty-four to thirteen forty-two, they called it the papal plantings. And that's when the boom of like winemaking really took off. Cause it mm-hmm. existed before, because it was just such a convenient space. And the ancient Greeks obviously found this land and like knew they had a an eye for it. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, that's a cheeky little spot. We're just gonna plant some vines and see how they and do. You, you know what they said after they did it? There's no place like Rome. <laughs> <laughs> she hates me right now. No, I love that. It's cute. That is very cute. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that colorful interjection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, okay. The the majority of the vines were planted between 1334 and 1342 um, in a city that literally later became Chateauneuf-de-Pop. And it was because of the Pope. The Pope. What does that that translate to, Chateauneuf-de-Pop? The village of the Pope. Right. Yeah. 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 The village of the Pope. Oh, yeah. Get some of that Pope wine. <laughs> pull it up. Pull it up. Pull up the Pope wine. I can't talk anymore. Hey, can you pull up some of that Pope wine? I got gotcha. you. Sure. Got, she got us. Can you hear it? So on the nose, we're getting peppery, spicy, big, bold red. This is a Thanksgiving red. Halloween red. Perfect for the holidays. Perfect for this time of year. Monday red. (laughs) 1 p.m. red. (laughs) (laughs) No judgments. Um, a lot of the northern Rhone reds are made with Syrah. This one is Grenache dominant, as I said before, it's 50%. Lovely. And I think it makes it a little bit lighter, a little bit fruitier. Yeah. 
Um, amazingly, this producer only uses concrete. He only has two wood barrels in his entire vineyard, which I thought was so weird. What? Yeah. How? What? (laughs) It's three weeks maceration in concrete, and then it's like half hand-picked, half uh, mechanical machine. uh, Mechanical. (laughs) Then uh, eight months maturation in concrete and or steel. He literally only has two wine barrels. Barrels. That's fascinating. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Really? Um, he has a vision, though. And then the guy who does the VDF by Clovis is a completely different guy, completely different parcel of grapes that he sources from. Um, he is a much more traditional style winemaker in the sense that he has, like, nothing but wood. And, like, those giant – what are those giant ones y'all are getting at V&V? Oh, there is a name for them. I, I'm not sure. Which we should have already gotten them. They haven't um, arrived yet. And I'm, I'm not stressed. It's not like my job. But I just want to look at them. Yeah, no, they're gorgeous. <laughs> There's such a big statement piece. and They're going to be so pretty in the cellar. Yes. We did have some, and we ended up selling them to um, a winery down in Dripping Springs, I believe. And it was just kind of easier to let them have the whole thing versus, like, transferring it to other barrels and the wine that they bought we really were just like just take it because <laughs> we just didn't need it that season we're like yeah we'll, we'll figure it out and now we're getting our big old barrels back well, i'm excited because it's going to be beautiful so pretty um, yeah <clears throat> yeah so i mean clovis is such a win i feel like the cool thing about and it's 50 percent grenache right yeah 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 so yummy the cool thing about this is you could literally walk in anywhere, and if you see the Cote de Rhone, you know it's going to be the same kind of red. Right. It's going to be different grapes from different places all along, like 125 miles of river. It's called the Rhone River. And Cote de Rhone literally in French just means like the hills of the Rhone Valley. So good. Because Cote in French means hill. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, what made you chuckle? Because I said, like, coat. Coat. (laughs) Just, like, no articulation. Coat. Just brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was reading about, like, the wine quality levels, too, for Cote d'Iron, like the AOC. Yes, that's a huge – we've mentioned this before in Italy. It's (laughs) the DOC, and in France it's the AOC, and it just means the Appalachian d'Origine that's, Mm -hmm. like – the level of control that the government has over the winemaking. I jotted down a few notes, and it was saying the first level, I guess, the Cote de AOC, just kind of the basic, the lowest level, essentially, even though everything's still delicious. Um, that's about half of their production. And, yeah, I wrote it here, kind of the entry level, where mm-hmm. I don't want to use the word basic, but, like, Clovis is, like, considered one of those, like, in, more entry level. It would right? be like a table wine. Yeah, exactly. Like cheaper than water. And then there's a Cote de Rhone Village's AOC when they when it's just a little bit higher up. Oh and, yeah, the village. Eh? Mm-hmm. Then there's the Cote de Rhone um, named villages, and for that one, I was reading there's 21 villages that it could be from, and I did not write all of them down because I, I started to, then I went, well, I can't pronounce 20 of these, so let's not. But there's 21. Um, and then the cruise. And there were 17 distinct crews. It said eight in the north and nine in the south. And the crews make up a, make up about 20% of the production of Cote d'Iron wines. And it's yeah. so hard to uh, ascend to that level. Yeah, of, I can't even imagine. For something to be considered a premier crew, 
would be the highest level of quality in France. I don't want to know what that price tag looks like, <laughs> but I want to drink it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to put it in perspective, we have 350 something bottles of uh, wine in the wine shop and there's only four or five that would be considered crew. Mm. Wow. And there are like pricier ones, but there's still, of I mean, between 60 to $80 Pinot Noirs. That's not bad, actually. Really not bad. And I mean, they're just, oh, every single time I kind of, I just decide to go off one day. And we, <laughs> we, <laughs> it happens. One. yeah, it's like I've just been staring at, I've been staring at you. And me, this is me talking to this bottle. <laughs> I've been staring at you. The time has come. <laughs> it's been staring back at you, too. It has. She's been waiting mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. waiting. And sometimes I will share. And sometimes I will not. And it's up to you. It's your decision. It's, I think I'm, I mean, I'm assuming too, a lot of times with the crews, if they're maybe 80 to $100, say in the wine shop, mm-hmm. try to order that at a steakhouse. It's going to be closer to three or 400. That's right. You know they're what always I mean? marked like, up. Yes. Yeah. The restaurant markup is insane. 300%. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And then Sarah and I are very fortunate in our jobs, which is a huge part of the reason why I wanted to work in wine, is that we get a beautiful little discount Yes, that sometimes it's closer to cost, but sometimes it's also just the employee rate that we get mm-hmm. it at. And that's why we're able to have really fun parties. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Including the live show we're doing this month. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, yeah, it's coming up. I'm sure this episode will come out after the fact but i think so we're very excited yeah yeah it's been coming along we've been talking to our producer about it shout out mike hey mike (laughs) (laughs) um but more on cote d'aronde what else do you have she has another book of research as she does a page of research a page oh a page just one page um, I, th- I just thought it was it was interesting enough to say for this one, considering how the style of wine is like big, bold, spicy with a really firm tannic structure. It's still it's fruity. I love this wine. Like, like you said, too, we I hadn't had it in a, at least a year. And then mm-hmm. when it came back, yeah, we had it at the house and we're both like, oh, that's so nice. Been sleeping on it. Yeah. 17 doll hairs. Come on. <laughs> as I do with most things. We sleep on it. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Literally me waking up in bed this morning, like trying to find my jewel, trying to find my corkscrew. <laughs> You're like a cat. You just <laughs> plop and sleep. I literally fell asleep with everything in my pockets. <laughs> um, the little bit of floral overtone, don't you think? I mean, I would think it would a be like a lot violety. more. Violety. Not like. Yes. Not white. Not no. white floral. It's, no. it's dark. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. It's so elegant. Like, it's just one of those wines that, like, if you didn't tell me this, if you told me this wasn't an oak, which the internet did earlier, I was shocked. Yeah. I really kind of couldn't believe it. It's so good. But if it were matured in oak barrels, I think it would be a lot oakier. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. That's really cool. Makes me like it a little more, actually. Go off, Remy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had a He had a vision. I just keep thinking about the rat now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, speaking of ratatouille, not to derail too much, I was scrolling through Instagram and there was some, you know, the scene where he's making the soup and he's running around the soup uh, bowl and he's like throwing in ingredients and mm-hmm. someone was like, 
what on earth could this possibly be from? And I was just like, I'm unfollowing this account. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> Immediately, I was like, nope, I'm not going to stew in it. I'm just going to unfollow it and never think about those idiots again. That's one of the best scenes in the whole movie, exactly. too. Because that I'm was like, when what? he, like, fixed the soup. Yeah. And then. Fixed the dirty human soup. Yeah. <laughs> And it was such an interesting color. Like me as like a foodie, I was kind of thinking yeah. like, what could the flavor profile right? possibly be? No, honestly. And he put so much into it. Yeah. <laughs> like an insane amount of things. Sarah and I aren't even concerned about the rat quality. <laughs> the, like the, the hygiene in the kitchen. I just want to taste no. the food. He won me over in that first scene when he was pairing what, something with cheese. Oh, it Rosemary was, or I don't. Uh, it was like a drop of dew from the grass. <laughs> and it, it was, he was just describing the flavor of the cheese and it was all those colors yes. with like kind of the dizzy gillespie like mm. jazz playing in the background Aww, speaking of jazz speaking of jazz that's where most of my research went today Go too by the way off. oh oh yeah whole yeah. Page. <laughs> yeah yeah beautiful beautiful music for you guys today do you want to talk about the food first do you want me to yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, wine into... Wine and food. Wine and food. It's, we were, when we were discussing the food for this, I was like, it's got to be something French. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've already done the bouffe bourguignon, Julia Child's bouffe bourguignon. Yes, ma'am. And um, I just... This meal, to me, my grandmother used to make this dish Aww. for me. And I, she didn't drink, but I feel like if I, in my station and my status right now as a sommelier, brought this to her, she would use it to cook with. Oh, yeah. This is the bottle that you Absolutely. use to, like, make this dish with. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Cocova. 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 Which is essentially, it translates to rooster in wine. Yeah. that's a- <laughs> like a chicken soup. Yeah. But, like, rooster in wine is the actual translation, which I love. Savory. <clears throat> decadent. Savory. And I actually looked up a few different recipes, and because Julie Child has one that's mm-hmm. excellent, um, Ina Garten has one, and that's the one I'm actually sharing today. I love Ina. Me too. Really, really love her. Have I, you ever seen this? Sorry, that no, scene go. on Gilmore Girls where they said WWBTCF. What would the barefoot Contessa do? <laughs> I don't remember that. And, and then Rory was like, "Barefoot's one word." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love her. We have this, a few of her cookbooks, actually, and one of them, this is kind of off topic, it's called Cooking for Jeffrey, and it's just like this real cheesy photo of she and her husband. I love Jeffrey. Yes, and Ryan made, got a, uh, took a recipe out of that and made some kind of stew or something for one of his good friends, TJ. Shout out, TJ. <laughs> oh, TJ. And he, like, literally because he just couldn't wait to show TJ the book it came out <laughs> He was like, this was made with love, and I made it with love, and I love you, and it's your birthday. It was so great. My favorite thing about that whole show Mm -hmm. is at the very end, Jeffrey always just kind of like shuffles in with like a bouquet of flowers and gives her a kiss, and he's like, thanks, lovely. This looks delicious. And then like sits down, and it's like, you just do the bare minimum, man. He just shows up with flowers. I mean. Literally me coming (laughs) over to y'all's house after work. (laughs) I, I love it. I think it's great. I'm your Jeffrey. <laughs> You're my Jeffrey. <laughs> Cooking for Jeffrey. <laughs> Cooking for quarter. <laughs> oh, my God. I just had a genius idea. We should make a Some of Our Thoughts cookbook. Yeah. We've Cooking discussed. for quarter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll put be, it in, like, my little acknowledgement shout out. <laughs> it's going to be some of our food. Some of our. Uh, some, some of, of our, our recipes. Some of our. Some of our shit. 
<laughs> I was trying to think of something funny too, and I'm like, I don't know. That's a hard one. Hi. Anywho, um, I'm going to read her recipe first, and then I actually have a little addition, a few additions that I would kind of change to it. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, amazing. <laughs> so you'll need two tablespoons of good olive oil, four ounces of good bacon or pancetta diced, um, one chicken cut into eighths, and I'll actually stop here. That's one of the things where she was like, I went to the butcher and I had them cut this chicken into eight different pieces. Um, well, we're in Waco, Texas, and I'm sure you could do that, but the butcher might look at you a little funky. You can totally just buy a couple packs of just like legs and thighs. Totally. And a few other recipes I saw, that's what they did. Because also, Ina lives in like the Hamptons. Yep. Full blown. And she has, or she, I don't know if she does now, but she used to own her own like market <laughs> so things of course are just more accessible in some places but anyway so don't stress too much about if you don't want to cut an entire chicken into eights you um, just want a lot of bone-in pieces yeah. so it's juicier exactly you'll need some kosher salt and freshly ground black pepper a half pound of carrots cut diagonally into one inch pieces and with the carrots she rough chops them and so they're pretty large you can dice them if you want um just depends on what like mouthfeel and what um but like the presentation on the plate, too. Yeah, which I think cut diagonally would be beautiful. You'll need one yellow onion sliced, one teaspoon of chopped garlic, one-fourth cup of cognac or good brandy, and then a half bottle of good dry wine, such as a Cote d'Aron, one cup of chicken stock, preferably homemade, um, a giant, giant sprig of thyme, like just grab a handful and that would suffice, two tablespoons of unsalted butter, at room temperature, divided, one and a half tablespoons of all-purpose flour, a half pound of, Kyle's going to hate this, a half pound of frozen small onions, uh, pearl onions. <laughs> and I actually, I remember when he made that recipe, we could find the frozen ones yeah. easily. Mm -hmm. It was actually, it was the fresh onions, pearl onions, we could, or raw ones, we could not find. I had to drive to the Walmart in Belmede. Yeah. And why the Walmart and Belmead has those, I will never understand. He literally drew me a map to exactly where they were. <laughs> and he oh, was right. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> but, and this was this was kind of a uh, variation too. So she uses the frozen ones and kind of, well, I'll read the recipe. She puts all of them into the cocova. Whereas another recipe I saw, they kind of sauteed the onions and put them in after it had been cooking for a while. But in my opinion, I think I would... Still get fresh ones, but I would saute them and then put them in still in the beginning before you cook it for a long time. I want those onion flavors. Yeah, permeated in, my, in Right? There. Like, mm -hmm. I want that in there. I don't, I would never want onions added at the end unless it's like on top of a street taco. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I don't know. That was kind of weird to me. But anywho, but she does put it in to cook the entire time. Um, and then you'll need a half pound of cremini mushrooms, stems removed and thickly sliced. And she kind of expounded more on the cremini mushroom aspect. She said it doesn't necessarily have to be cremini. You can use any yummy mushroom that you want. Just avoid those little white button mushrooms that are in the grocery store, yeah. the cheaper ones, honestly, because she, they just have no flavor. They're That's just right. like, and they tend to get rubbery a like lot quicker. Rubber. I was going to say like pencil erasers. Yeah, exactly. Chewy. Yeah, so the directions, you're going to preheat your oven to 250 degrees. Then you're going to heat your olive oil in a large Dutch oven, add the bacon or your pancetta, and cook over medium heat for about 8 to 10 minutes until it's lightly browned. Remove the bacon to a plate with a slotted spoon. 
Meanwhile, lay the chicken out on paper towels and pat dry. Liberally sprinkle the chicken on both sides with salt and pepper. When the bacon is removed, brown the chicken pieces in batches in a single layer for about five minutes, turning it to brown. Remove the chicken to the plate with the bacon and continue to brown until all the chicken is done. Set aside. And I'm going to pause right here as well. So that's fine. That's a good step. Although a few other recipes I saw, they started out by actually marinating the chicken in the wine. So they got a whole separate bowl. And as she's making, as she's kind of dicing everything, you know, prepping, as she's prepping, as she's dicing all the veggies, as she's browning the, or cooking the bacon, that chicken is already in a bowl submerged with the chicken stock and the wine. So it's really taking on more of that color and the flavor, I would assume, too. That's what my grandmother used to do with herbs, too. Yeah. And just leave it in with the wine and it herbs. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I would actually change that as well. That's how I would, or when we make this, that's how I'm going to do it. Because it's a drunk chicken, y'all. <laughs> like, it's it's a red, pink yeah, chicken. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to look, and that's how you want it to taste. And you really, it would, it's a better... Um, way to incorporate the wine and really showcase the wine too that you choose. Absolutely. So anywho, after you do that, you're going to add your carrots, onions, two teaspoons of salt, and one teaspoon of pepper to the pan and cook over medium heat for 10 to 12 minutes, stirring occasionally until the onions are light browned. Add the garlic and cook for another minute. Add the cognac or brandy and put the bacon, chicken, and any juices that collected on the plate into the pot. Add your wine, chicken stock, and thyme and bring to a simmer. Cover the pot with a tight-fitting lid and place in the oven for 30 to 40 minutes until the chicken is just not pink. Then you're going to remove from the oven and place it on the stove. So as you're doing that, you're also going to mash one tablespoon of butter and flour together and stir it into the stew. You're basically making a roux just to thicken up the sauce at the end. And then at this point, she adds the frozen onions. And then in a medium saute pan, she adds the rest of the butter and cooks the mushrooms for five to 10 minutes, just browning those mushrooms. And she adds it after the stew has been cooking for quite a while, which I, I do understand that because if you've ever made a stew and you put anything, if you put mushrooms in it and it's cooking for a long time and liquid, they kind of shrink and almost disappear essentially. Yeah. So I feel like if you do put the, the onion, I mean, not the onions, the mushrooms in at the end, they'll get have more of that true flavor. Hardiness. Yeah. And another recipe I saw, they actually did both. So they put un, uh, mushrooms in as it was cooking for like that hour, hour and a half or so. But then they still did what Ina did and added more mushrooms in at the end. And I love mushrooms, so I'm probably going to do that. Load me up on the mushies. Yeah, because the same thing, I want that mushroom flavor, like the onions, to be cooked the whole time into that j- delicious, brothy, juicy... Yes. And then... You're adding all that stuff to the stew. Then you're going to bring the stew to a simmer on your stovetop. Cook for another 10 minutes or so. And then it says to serve hot. Another little fun did, fun did, fun <laughs> dip, fun thing that I saw was um, some people will add a little bit of tomato paste into it, which I haven't made this. So I don't know that much of a difference. Do you, know, do you know if your grandmother put tomato paste into it or tomatoes? Mm-mm. Yeah. It seemed kind of like, I don't know if that's necessary. But one thing that I really liked um, some people add bay leaves, which I would always add a bay leaf to just everything. Just why not? But a lot of people make a crouton topping, like a Ooh. homemade crouton. Yeah, this one video, it's like a New York Times recipe. They It looked like maybe like a sourdough bread or just a really nice bread. And then they actually cut the bread into triangles and made their own croutons, like pan 
seared the bread to make them really crispy. And then what they did was they dipped like the tip of the crouton into the juices and then sprinkled it with um, fresh thyme and then laid it on top. Oh. Yeah. So it was like you still got the crunchy element, but like it was just really, really beautiful. Yeah. Like presentation wise, I was like, oh, I want to do that. That's a picture. <laughs> but yeah, that is the recipe for coco vin. It's divine. It's decadent. It's juicy. And a lot of people, too, we also chose this recipe because there is that connotation with, you know, white wine is chicken and fish. Red wine is red meat. But if you have a lighter style wine like this one and you really take something, a lighter style meat like that chicken, and you submerge it and you blend it all together, um, it's, I mean, I think it's really special. That's something that not a lot of people think of, I think, typically. But then you're like, wait, that's totally a thing. That's such a French thing. We're doing it. Oh, absolutely. It's, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a good pairing. Mm-hmm. Bravo, Sarah. Brava. Brava. Would you, what would you serve? I feel like peas and carrots and like maybe some kind of potato. Yeah, I always want to do like some heavy mashed potatoes with mm-hmm. stuff like that. Cheesy. Cheesy. Garlicky. I don't think I would do polenta with it because I don't like polenta and chicken together necessarily. I feel you. But, yeah, maybe like some mashed potatoes or like a salad if you want something yeah, lighter. A beautiful like Caesar salad. Yeah. And that was – you could do the crouton there too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ooh. Sounds like <laughs> – <laughs> We're like, ooh, yeah, that, that's, that's it. That sounds like dinner. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to make this one. And I think the musical artist today would be a beautiful – uh, thing to listen to as you're eating this meal, but also while you're cooking this, I feel like that would be. Whether you just have Miles, it's Miles Davis. <laughs> I was going to try to like lead up to it. I know, me too. Miles Davis kind of blue, which is probably it, it just been the soundtrack to my entire life lately. Um, as they say like if you have it on in the background as like mood music or it's just the center of your entire universe, um, you could listen to this a thousand times. And take something away from it completely yeah. different every single time. Um, little tidbit into my life is I have to listen to vinyl at work. Yeah. It's, it's not like begrudgingly. Like it's a treat and a mm-hmm. joy and a sheer pleasure of mine. So thank you, David. Because um, I literally like there's no other way to listen to music and we have to have music playing all the time. He started us with his record collection, mm-hmm. which is mostly jazz. There are... So many Miles Davis albums. Um, kind of Blue is just always at the front, and I always have it sitting like directly in front. So even <laughs> if it's not playing, I see it all throughout my day, every day. But as soon as I get to work, it's one of those things where like you unlock the door, you lock the door behind you. I turn the alarm off, I turn the lights on, and I put this album on. Aww. And like sweep and polish glasses <laughs> and open the drawer and like start I the day it. every single day. And in doing research for it, it like kind of it didn't take the magic away from it just because I didn't Good. know anything about it at all. And I loved it so much. It's such a huge part of my life that I mean, it's definitely it's added to just my context of what I know about it. But like you put this on, it's five tracks, mm-hmm. roughly about 45 minutes. Um, uh, I'm like it's like John Coltrane. Bill Evans, which we have a lot of Bill Evans, just singular um, albums at the shop. But when we were talking about this bottle with this dish, it was like, it's got to be something substantial. Yeah. It's got to be, I mean, we haven't done jazz in quite some time. No, we haven't. 
And um, it is nice to have something that's just such a staple and cornerstone of my life that I feel mm-hmm. like um, Sarah gets to listen to whatever she wants on Spotify. Well, I mean, within reason. I'll within usually reason. play some soft jazz. Yeah. But this album literally changed the way that people view jazz. It did. It, Absolutely. It became the concept of it was cool jazz. Mm-hmm. And it was just named for the mood kind of blue. Um I didn't realize so much about his life. I knew, you know, certain things. I don't things. really know it about his life. Yeah. Please tell me. Yeah. I would so, love to hear it. He was born in Alton, Illinois and grew up in East St. Louis. Okay. And um he was actually from like kind of an affluent background. His his mother was a violinist. And so when wow. he started playing the trumpet as a kid, she was like furious about it because <laughs> she wanted him to be this like world-renowned violinist. Um and but then he became a world-renowned trumpeter and like yeah, literally changed the world. Um, I don't think you know this, but last week I I, li- I watched the um, Ken Burns documentary on jazz, which Ooh. is like, it's roughly like eight hours. Oh. <laughs> I, yeah. ne- I can't watch that till Lucas is 18. I <laughs> and even then maybe. Or like in a sleepover, I guess. <laughs> um, it was so fascinating to me because he, Ken Burns has always said that the three or the the two biggest American concepts are baseball and jazz. Wow. Which I would have thought jazz was kind of like, I mean, you know, like a, I, I guess I associate huh. it with like New Orleans, St. Louis, yeah. kind of like that nouveau riche, like brought over from somewhere. But then I guess in America, yeah. we adapted it as we do with most things. Um, and he just, for this, he, he was just such a, like, a renaissance man. <laughs> he went to Juilliard, but then he dropped out because he wanted to perform full-time. And he just ended up skipping all of his classes to sit in clubs and waited for Charlie Parker to walk in. Wow. And he did, like, end up living with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, which is where, oh, wow. as, like, a young kid, these were his idols. And they just, mm-hmm. like, felt bad for him and brought him in. Um, I think... There's a lot of really technical things that I, I took, like I learned about this and doing research for it, like the horns blowing harmony in the background of this whole album are playing the same notes in each bar. And I feel like he was one of the people to kind of like the pioneer of you don't have to have a vocalist. No. And songs. Like yeah. You can make an instrument sound so distinct and so beautiful with whatever pitch and tone and note, whatever, like you can be, you're instrument can be the vocals essentially it can be the star well that's literally what um like the concept of it if like knowing what i know about it now to listen to it i can hear like coltrane and like i know he has the energetic little like solos (laughs) whereas like miles is in the back like they're shifting the chord changes doesn't it like the chord doesn't change throughout the whole thing um they recorded this in one take shut up okay i didn't know that it's wow. rumored to have been recorded in one take, which is... I bet it was. Yeah. And I mean, with the, um, I guess, the the people that he had as the tenor tax, it was John Coltrane, the also... <laughs> my handwriting's so bad, I just said tax. Tenor sax was John Coltrane, the also sax. Cannonball Adderley. His name you know, is Cannonball. His first name is Cannonball? <laughs> That's what they called him. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to... My, like, 30-year-old goal is to... Tr- teach myself how to play the saxophone again. Oh, yeah, because you and I played the Lucy alto, and Megan. Yeah, I played – well, no, I never played with them. I played the alto sax from, like, 
fourth grade to eighth grade. Mm. But then when I started high school, I just wanted to play the drums. So I did because I do what I want. But I have like a mint condition also sax at my parents' house. And oh. I told Ryan yesterday because now we have like a whole music room in our house. It's, and it's amazing. Fantastic. And I was like, um, if that's if it's going to stay like this, I'm going to add to it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have things too. I just don't have them here. But I remember, honestly, I thought the saxophone was really, really easy to play. And I know that's maybe a bold statement, but it was just really, maybe it was just really fun. Do too. you want to know something? I used yeah. to play the flute. My grandmother was a concert pianist and a flautist. Flautists. And I have her, like, perfect condition oh. flute. And I not. Do you play I'm, the flute? I'm not as good as Lizzo, but I can play. Well, who is? No one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to play the flute. But I don't know how to play the sax, and we could do some really cool Did Kyle play trombone or something? Did he play the trombone? I think he did. What did he? He was in the band. He was a band <laughs> right? He, I think he played trombone. He's going to kill us for not knowing. I'm sorry, baby. He's going to kill me. I literally went to high school with him and like <laughs> sat true. next to him on the band bus yeah. every Friday for four years. We all were just him. talking shit. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I love that picture of y'all like out on the field, though. Um, anyway. Okay, so yeah, let's we'll get it together, Sarah. You and me. Let's that's a let's great form a goal. jazz band. That's literally such a good goal for us because because of this podcast. Now I feel like the music room has like formed in your home. It has, and it, it needed to like that. That it has. It's, it's been the best thing. We've been having band practice with the boys since they're you know getting together to do this live show for us. It's just everything. Shout out Michael and Bo and Cecil. Y'all are the best. Well, and Ryan. <laughs> Ryan lives with me. I don't have to thank Ryan. I do. He's phenomenal. That's fine. You can thank Ryan. Big-footed fucker. <laughs> oh, fat feet. <laughs> I have this. Now I have to talk about it. I have this running joke with Ryan where I just say his feet are so fat. They are not. They're he like gets very so like, upset, though. They're skinny, proportionate, cute feet for a five, seven man like yeah. he is. They're, nothing on Ryan is fat. And no. I'm just like. I don't know. Maybe I'm just really mean, but it makes me laugh. It so makes me hard. laugh so hard too. I've started adding to it. Hence the reason I brought it up. Sorry, Ryan. Anyway, but we have our, because of Ryan, thanks babe. We have our own band playing for our live podcast episode. Yep. Episodes in a, in a couple weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anywho, we're going to form a jazz band. Hope y'all heard it. Y'all heard it first. <laughs> Flautist quarter. Sax Sarah. say we're on the set and whatever kyle plays (laughs) (laughs) i think it's trombone i really do i would love that because that's another brass also in drumline and play we played a bunch of different things when we had to right but i think originally he played trombone well that's (laughs) phenomenal yeah i think okay so all of this to say Mm -hmm. Put Miles Davis on more often. Call your mom. Yeah. Make Coco Vaughn. And buy this uh, lovely Coderone from my wine shop. And if not for me, then just go get like a Beaujolais Villager, something mm-hmm. akin to what this recipe calls for, what you could probably stand to have around your house more often. I love this episode because I feel like this is one of the, one of maybe three episodes when people think wine podcast, they think 
French, French jazz. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Very true, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? This is one of the only quote unquote like traditional episodes we've ever done. But I think that's I think it was a I think it's great. Now we have to do <laughs> ten really weird ones. Yeah, y'all we can get ready. <laughs> you know we have weird ones. <laughs> All righty, you guys. Well as always, grab your favorite glass, put on your favorite record. Let's have some fun. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to some of our thoughts. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.